0: World's Finest Podcast, Episode 44. I am your host, James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. How's it going, sir?
1: Good. You know, I uh I got an email from my stepmom telling me what my uh what my brother and sister want for Christmas, and it dawned on me that I haven't done a lick of Christmas shopping yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, dear. Yeah, now, now of course, that's going to sound worse, because this episode is being released on Christmas Eve, so <laughs> you know, I don't want anybody thinking James and I recorded this on, let's say, you know, the 23rd, and this is being <laughs> <you> know, published <laughs> on the 24th. No, we're actually recording this one a little ahead of time, uh, much more ahead of time than we normally would. Uh, simply by virtue of the fact that, you know, the holidays are coming up, and, well, we need time to shop and spend time with family and all this and that, so we had to get this one out of the way early. But, yeah, uh getting back to the Christmas shopping, just nothing. I mean, I've got things sitting in my Amazon cart, so all I have to do is click, you know, buy. and Buy I've this, not... buy that. Yeah, exactly, and I've got a couple people done. It's just a matter of doing that and then getting out to ugh, the malls to buy a couple of other things because – we do a grab bag on my dad's side of the family, mm-hmm. and uh, my aunt, I think I have her, and my cousin, which I think Jenny has, but it could be vice versa, both want like just sweatshirts. But, you know, you can order those online, but, You know, you can't really feel them to see if they're comfortable or how high quality they are. You know, you actually have to go out and handle those things. And it's like, oh, I don't want to go to the mall. (laughs) I mean, you know, it wouldn't have been so bad if I would have gotten their Christmas lists like a couple of weeks ago. But I just pretty much got it. So I didn't know what to get them. Mm You know, So now I'm forced to go out to the crowded malls. I wish I could have gotten my shopping done earlier with them. But. No, and then it's all made worse by the fact that I just had to buy myself a new computer monitor, too. Oy. I had one, I don't know, it's like four, maybe five years old, and I turned it on, and you could see everything that was on screen, but it was like someone took the, like someone lowered the brightness. And I played with it for a little while, and I couldn't get it to uh, fix itself, so I was like, you know what, I, I just have to get a new one. I just absolutely have to get a new one, so... You know, there went $150 right there.
0: I'm probably gonna have to buy a whole new desktop computer because of what just happened the other day.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm complaining about a monitor, and you've got a whole computer issue going on, don't you?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now I'm I'm work I'm doing this on the computer I normally do this uh, recording on, but it's all wiped clean, the hard drive and everything, so it's back to being XP circa 2001 ish. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so this is a bare-bones computer I'm operating on right now.
2: Mm.
1: But This isn't the first time you've had trouble with this machine, is it?
0: Not by a long shot. Yeah. Damn. I'm amazed it has lasted as long as it has, <laughs> quite frankly. And by that, I mean I, I'm, I'm amazed I haven't taken a baseball bat to it.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But uh, as,
0: as far as my Christmas shopping goes, um, I think I'm done. Um, but there was a a about a week ago, there was a heretofore unseen gift that I had to buy for a certain new girlfriend of mine <laughs> and uh yeah, so that was you know that was cool. I got to make an extra little trip out there, but uh it was one I was more than happy to take
1: so well, <laughs> oh, very good, sir <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we said earlier, or i should say as I said earlier, um of course, James and I'm recording this one uh bit earlier than we normally would so we don't have a ton of emails to go through um but we do have a couple so why don't we just get right into them
0: the first one today is from dave who writes dear mike and james i just finished playing mk versus dcu And you know what? It wasn't bad. In fact, with one minor difference, it could be in line with the DCAU if you had a different ending to JLU and Darkseid survived and tried to get away. I don't want to spoil the storyline for your listeners, but you should try playing it if you haven't already. If you do, I'd like to know what you think. I actually have played it. Uh, I rented it through Gamefly. Um, It was okay. I mean, I pretty much fall in line with uh, DW's review of, of the game. Should I should
1: note, of course, that can be found on Earth2.net. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, just had to mm-hmm. put it in
0: there. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I found myself, when reading his review, just nodding along with it. The, uh, the combo system, I couldn't stand. It was like DW said, a dial-a-combo, where you press the button and you wait five seconds, and then it happens. Really, it is. It's just a, a slightly above-average fighter.
1: I'm not a fan of the Mortal Kombat games to begin with. I think I've said that before on this show. Um... And tossing in a bunch of DC characters who can't even perform fatalities. And the ones that can, the villains, my understanding is that they're edited. Yeah. So what happens with the DC characters? Their fatalities happen off screen now?
0: No. Well, every violent, well, quote unquote, violent fatality, Uh if that makes any sense at all. (laughs) um, It pretty much, they pretty much censor it. Like Joker's uh, one where he pulls out the fake the bang flag gun yeah. shoots it and then, uh, and then he's like he laughs and then he pulls out a real gun well the camera shifts to where you can't see the victim
1: now does that do it only for the dc characters or do we see something similar for the mortal Kombat characters cuz i know this game isn't rated m it's rated t for teen
0: yeah well it do, they do it to joker and deathstroke
1: okay but what, what about the mk that, characters like sub zero I'm trying to one
0: think one? i'm trying to think no because none of them have Fatalities with guns because that's what both of those.
1: Oh, fatalities are. I didn't just realize it was just. They get just shot. An, I didn't realize it was an issue just with firearms. Okay. I think
0: that's what it is because Sub Zero shatters people, you know. Okay. With the ice and stuff, and um, actually, now that I think about it, uh, Raiden and Scorpion have some pretty violent fatalities for a T-rated game. Uh, Raiden will. Pretty much just electrocute somebody until nothing is left but their charred skeleton and nah. um Yeah, and Scorpion drags somebody into the pits of hell and leaves a flaming mess of a skeleton after like shot up from a pit. So yeah. it's like I'm you know, if you're gonna do that, why not just rate it M and make some violent fatalities? Well, because I'll tell you what, there are some in there that are so lame it it boggles the mind.
1: Seriously, that just goes to Warner Brother slash DC's hand in the game. That's really what it is. They wanted their characters involved, but there was no way they were going to let their characters be involved in a traditional, ultra violent MK game. You know, and it's a real shame that Midway, the the producers of the game, that they didn't say, you know what, since we can't get over on the gore this time around, let's put all our effort into making this a better game with a better, more responsive fighting system. You know, they they just didn't do it. They just went, my understanding, of course, is that they just went with traditional, you know, your traditional MK game with just weak fatalities or heroic brutalities. Oh, God. They just should have made it, I know I've said this before, but they really just should have made it Mortal Kombat versus DC villains. You know, and just, and don't censor it, make it M. But Warner Brothers still probably would have had a problem with it.
0: Probably Uh, they and the character selection is another thing that people, including me, would malign it for. I mean, you have horrible characters in there, like the Joker, who's like like D.W. says is one of the worst players in the game. His his moveset's terrible, and he's not a fighter. No, you know, Deathstroke was a perfect choice for the game, but Lex Luthor and fucking Joker and Catwoman, they're horrible. Just Absolutely terrible. Why not put Lobo in there? Mhm. I mean, shit. He <laughs> he would be made for a game like that.
1: Yeah, I think another idea that DW had suggested in his review was Black Adam. Throw him in there, you know? What? Yeah. Again, just make it all the villains or the really violent anti-heroes. Jonah Hex. Yes. Oh, that would have been awesome. Um,
0: and then, you know, characters like um the expanded DC universe um in like into the Sandman universe or well something you know, something, I'll you, you know I'll like tell that tell you
1: why you'll never see that cuz when you get over into the Vertigo universe those characters aren't owned by Warner Brothers they're actually owned by the creators of the book so if you wanted to do Sandman you'd have to get Neil Gaiman's permission if you wanted to do the preacher characters you have to get Garth Ennis's permission and that just starts getting too uh yucky Legally, yeah. you know, do you like my legalese? Yucky. <laughs> um, plus, I mean, really, it wouldn't make sense seeing someone like, uh, Cassidy or Jesse, who can both fight and they both have their own, uh, distinct powers, going up against, you know, your sub-zeroes and your scorpions and your Shao, is it Shao Kahn? Shao Kahn? Something yeah. like that. You know, it, it just really wouldn't make a whole lot of sense seeing that, cause, They are, at their roots, just sort of normal guys, where these other ones are just these beasts. You know, I I say they're normal guys, and one of them has the word of God, and the other one is a vampire. But I think you catch my drift.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Our next one is from Eric, who writes, Hey, guys. Wow. Selma Blair would be awesome. I never really thought about that. She's sexy, smart, and can definitely play it any way they write it. If she doesn't do Hellboy 3, maybe.
1: Well, here's the thing. Think about how much time passed between Hellboy and Hellboy 2. There was a big window there. So assuming there's a similar window between Hellboy 2 and Hellboy 3, and that's even assuming there is a Hellboy 3, that would give her plenty of time to do Nolan's next Batman film. And that's, that's a big question mark too, because, you know, Warner Brothers, of course, wants another Batman film out there now, based on the fact that this one just, you know, it's the second highest grossing film of all time. So they want to continue to ride that momentum, you know? But, You know, are they going to let Nolan do another film? Are they going to wait for him? Does he even want to do another one? He said he's kind of on the fence about it. He's got some ideas, but who knows? So regardless, I see the next Batman film coming out before the next Hellboy film. So I'm sure unless she takes on another film, she'd be, you know, ready to go. Uh, There wouldn't be much of a conflict between those two uh, comic book movies.
0: Clint Eastwood, really? Michael Keaton did such a great... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Did such a great Bruce Wayne, but I can see what you uh, mean about Eastwood, if he did his Dirty hairy persona. Or how about this, Kevin Conroy? I mean, he may not be quite as old as Bruce is, but a little makeup can fix that. No, no, no. Uh,
1: Hang on, hang on. Let me me jump in there, because I take issue with using makeup. When you can cast, like, Clint Eastwood, or any actor that's legitimately in their 60s or older, and... You know, you can tell it on their face. They have the, you know, the real wrinkles and the real tiredness and the real, you know, I've been through wars kind of thing. Look about them. Or you can go with getting someone and putting prosthetics on them. Uh, No, you're going to go with the person that actually looks like they're that age because they are that age. You know, makeup is all well and good, but you can always tell when it's makeup and it ends up at least for me, pulling me out of the picture. So I'd rather have the old guy over the younger guy with a good voice in the makeup. Sorry, I just, I, I, I ugh, sorry, that just, that just gets under my skin. And that's not a shot at Eric here. That's just a shot at Hollywood in general. Cause I really get tired of when I see, um, that done in movies that said, I am excited for that new Brad Pitt movie. Which one? Oh, it's called uh The Curious... Oh, shit. I forget what it is. But the whole thing is that he's aging backwards. So Brad Pitt is oh, in yeah. really funky makeup the whole time. What is it? The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, I think? Let me... Sorry. Let me my up.
0: parents, or, or my brother, one of them actually said something about that the other day. I hadn't even heard about
1: it. Y- yeah, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I was right, yeah. Um, But that's a little different because at some point they do want him to get to Brad Pitt. You know what I'm saying? They want mm-hmm. him to be old... And then, oh, look, all of a sudden, he's an 80-year-old man, but he's Brad Pitt. But when that's not the point of your movie, no, just cast the person who fits the role, who looks the role, and forget the makeup. That's all I'm getting at.
0: Or if they wanted to, they could uh, They can make the time period a little closer, allowing old Batman to be in his 40s or 50s. Glenn Close I don't know about. All I see is Fatal Attractions. Although she is great as the vice president in Air Force One hell yes, Michael Ironside. Great call, James. I'd never thought of that. Now on to the episodes. Rats. Oh, wow. I remember this episode from its first run. Not my favorite, but hey, it's an okay time passer. Really? (laughs) Hey, Farmer Brown's still alive. Patrick the Pack Rat reminds me of a combined element of the Rat King from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Sewer King from BTAS. It's hilarious, though. Patrick says he watches Dana and how unappreciated she is. Out of all the girls in Gotham, he just so happens to choose Batman's girlfriend. Ah, well, a common problem in comic book lore. Oh, yes, Mad Stan is fucking awesome. He reminds me of a much better lockup up lookalike. Mike, I took the scene where they didn't mention Patrick as another sad example of how unnoticed he really was. It could also mean they weren't sure if they would bring him back.
1: No, That's a good point. Okay, when you put it that way... I'll go with
0: that. Mind games. The start of the episode certainly dates when this series aired, but a prediction. Bush is the boring one. Oh, <laughs> shit. I remember watching this episode when it first aired and enjoying it very much. Tamara looks so much like Ace. Do you think there's a connection? Well, we went over that, of course. Uh, she has similar powers as Ace, not to mention the two who uh, kidnapped her look like members of the Royal Flush Gang without the outfits. I do think she's a clone or perhaps a, des- a descendant of a clone. The overgrown guy isn't albino, unless you're talking about the fat psychic guy. His hair is yellow. Albinos have whiter. Yeah, we are. We were talking about, uh, uh, Mandragora's son. Um Mike and James, thank you for mentioning the animation given when Batman's, uh, Batman faces the fat psychic guy. It was awesome and very mature for a kid's WB show. I was cringing at times. You see Terry's face being shocked and you might think he's about to come out of his skin. Revenant. Such a pointless episode, not even good enough for filler. The worst thing about it is that it's a continuation of one of the worst episodes so far, Golem. Willie Watt is a boring character. He's also very stupid. Him and Terry were never best friends, and he suddenly gives himself away, huh? Mike, you are right about the character model on Nelson. He does look very different. The problem with Batman throwing Nelson out of the window is that those mats would not stay that way. It would have unwrapped itself before even getting down one story. Babble. What the fuck? They actually got away with showing some guy basically masturbating the tuning fork to the head on screen. <laughs> this episode seems to be just filler while still teaching a bit of information, but the revenge angle is so old I can't stand it anymore. Shriek returns and Where's Terry and the JLU episode epilogue. James Tower of Babel was or Babel was uh, published four months after this episode. Okay, a big problem I had with this episode is Bruce Wayne is the greatest detective in the world, but yet he can't understand another language. I can see Terry having trouble; he's a teenager who's not too much into school. But Bruce seems to be lost, which is weird. Well, it was it wasn't actually another language. Yeah, it was just gibberish. Nobody could understand anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not like suddenly Terry was speaking German and Barbara was doing French and someone else was you know, speaking Gaelic. It was literally just a jumbled mess. That, that's all anybody was hearing.
0: And Terry's friend dates a robot. Okay, first off, this episode was completely ripped off in a Season 5 episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Bruce Timm has said in several episodes how much he enjoyed the Buffy series. Perhaps Joss Whedon felt the same about the DCAU. I love the Shaft type theme playing when Howard appears to greet his robot. The fight in the beginning is nice, too. I was wondering why it doesn't uh, say in the DCAU wiki, but the grunt made by the Riddler. Is that John Glover? You know how loyal he is. he come in for just a second of voice time. <laughs> I love John Glover. But not that much more is good. This episode seems so out of place. I guess at least it's better than rats. And finally up today is our last email from Joseph. Who writes, hey guys, uh, thanks for the info on the episode, Rats. I have some awesome and funny moments. The funny moment is after Dana calls Terry about the dress he will like. Matt teases him and Terry grabs his shoe and throws it at Matt. And Matt closes the door to his room before the shoe hits him. An awesome moment is when Mad Stan pile drives Batman's head into the floor of the library and his ears get stuck in the floor. And Batman cuts the wire to Mad Stan's vest starting the countdown and he manages to get it off and throw it before it explodes, sending Mad Stan hurling into a wall. And also, the voice of Patrick the Rat Boy is Terran Noah Smith from the TV show Home Improvement. And forgive me for bringing up the terrible episode Ascension. Did you know the voice of Paxton Powers is Carrie Elwes from the first Saw movie? I
1: That's did not. That's Cary That's him?
0: I did not know that at all, honestly.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: Um,
1: and wow. and and frankly, no, 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 no. He's 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 uh, he's he's Wesley. He's the Dread Pirate Roberts. You know, he's he's Robin he's from, Hood. Yeah, he's from the prince. He's from the Princess Bride. You know, we don't bring up Saw in this show if we can help yes, him. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Fuck Robin Hood and Tights and Princess Bride are classics. <laughs> Uh, and also in Terry's friend, Ace of Robot, I love the look of Batman's face when Howard tells Cynthia that they can still be friends. He just puts his hand on his head, well, face palm, <laughs> and like he's saying to himself, Howard, you fat, dumb fuck. <laughs> and did you happen to see the golem robot in the factory when Howard is wandering around? Yes, I did. I just forgot to mention it. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks and happy holidays to the DC Animated Universe fans, Joseph. But before I forget, during the episode Rats, Mad Stan had a detonator in his hand, and I was wondering, why the fuck does he need that? He already has uh, push buttons on the bombs.
1: You know, that makes a lot of sense, but you can say that, you know, Mad Stan, he knows someone's gonna show up, be it Batman or the police or the bum down the street, really. It doesn't matter to Mad Stan. He just wants to cause anarchy and he wants to get on his soapbox, really. So I think the detonator is there just in case the police or Batman show up and he needs to set those off even quicker ...than the timer is set for, I mean, that kind of justifies it in my mind. Where is he? Where's McGinnis? Not here.
0: When he comes, you have to turn him over.
2: If you take him in, you'll expose his secret.
0: And mine.
2: And yours.
0: What other choice do I have? Do we have? Believe me, I'm acutely aware of the ramifications. I have a husband running for re-election. How long do you think that'll last when this hits the web? No one can protect us this time, Bruce. He went too far.
2: Terry? Bruce, you gotta help me. I don't know why, but the
0: cops are after me.
2: Did you think you could get away with killing, Madstan? Killing? What are you talking about? Barbara was an eyewitness. She saw everything.
0: All I did was hit him with my elbow. He was knocked out, not dead.
2: She wouldn't lie. And I would... Where are you? If you want me to trust you, you've got to trust me. I'm at Max's. Stay there.
0: First up today is the episode Eyewitness. And this one, uh, the episode begins with this, what we assume is an arms deal or something to that nature, going on uh, in a warehouse where Batman is perched watching. Well, Bruce warns Terry to always know the whole situation before jumping in, which of course means Terry is going to screw something up. <laughs> well, sure enough, he jumps into the fray, and before the seller can open his truck full of gu- of whatever goods he's carrying, he uh, Batman ensnares him, and this huge shootout occurs. And as the crooks escape, they run Batman over, and he flies into the control panel of the truck, which opens to r- reveal a battalion of GCPD officers. Turns out it was a sting operation in the works for about a year, and Batman just completely blew it. Barbara Gordon is about as pissed off as she can possibly be. So later, she and Bruce are having tea in the manor, and Barbara uh, remarks that Terry is way too brash and that it better be his last mistake. Well, the next night, the city is holding a celebration for Barbara's husband, Sam, for lowering crime rates when who should appear on the scene but Mad Stan? (laughs) He is pissed off, as usual, about special interests and fat cats and all other manner of shit. And he just starts blowing shit up all over the place, as usual. And Batman intervenes, and they start having really one of the most brutal fights we may ever see in the DCAU. Um, They end up in a parking garage, and Mad Stan prepares to unleash a really, really, really big bomb that will probably level the entire building and maybe the whole block with it. Well, Batman stops him, but... As he does, Stan remarks that he'll just get out again and start his spree all over. And Batman says, you're right, and I can't allow that to happen. Well, Batman proceeds to kill Mad Stan by bludgeoning him to death. And Barbara witnesses the whole thing and starts shooting at Batman, and he just flies away. Some police officers arrive, and they confirm that Mad Stan is indeed dead. Barbara blames herself and says that she now must finally put an end to Batman. Terry arrives home, but the GCPD... Are at his door asking, you know, his mother where he is. She doesn't know, and they apparently don't know that he's Batman either. They just say that the commissioner wants him in for questioning. So at the cave, Barbara enters and demands to know where Terry is. Um, and she is well aware of what will happen when she uh, arrests him. All of their identities will be exposed: hers, Bruce's, Terry's. Every you know, everybody from the past. Um, well. Terry calls Bruce from Max's house as she's leaving, and Bruce wants to know what the hell he was thinking, and t- Terry vehemently de- uh, denies killing Mad Stan, saying all he did was hit him in the face with his elbow and knocking him out. Well, Bruce asks him where he is and insists that they need to trust each other, and Bruce accesses the security camera from the, uh, the fight and finds that there's some kind of electrical disturbance right where the good stuff happens. Of course, some, he figures something isn't right with this, so he calls Terry and tells him that he does believe him, and that he should pay Mad Stan a visit in the city morgue. So, Terry, as Batman, flies to the morgue to find some clues to what's going on. Well, he opens Mad Stan's um, holding container, <laughs> and, surprise, surprise, there's no body inside. Terry hears something inside the room with him, and an invisible intruder trips the alarm. And Terry f- makes his way back to the roof, where the Gotham City police is waiting for him. They shoot him off the roof and into a net, uh, on some other vehicle. And, you know, Barbara, knowing all the tricks in the book, counters every would be advantage Terry has with his suit. But he still barely manages to escape, uh, by commandeering a police vehicle. He, uh, he escapes to, old, I guess it's old Gotham City, uh, where the Majestic Theater is still, still there, but of course has been abandoned for years. And Barbara is there waiting for him. Well, Terry again manages to get away while Bruce finishes fixing the security video. Terry was not lying. He disarmed the bomb, and Barbara started shooting at him as if out of the clear blue. Bruce wonders why Barbara would see something different, and he plays it back. But this time, he sees a shadowy figure in the background. Meanwhile, Terry has his hands full with the police, and uh, they corner him on the marquee of the of the theater, and Bruce tries to call Bar- uh, Barbara to tell Tell her what happened, but she'll hear none of it. So he tells Terry to put his UV scanner on because he knows who's behind this and that he's probably right there at the scene. And sure enough, Spellbinder appears in the visor standing right behind Barbara. Uh, Batman pretends to give himself up in order to chuck a battering at Spellbinder's illusion projecting advice, which exposes him to the police. Well, he takes him down, but Spellbinder remarks to Barbara that she was so willing to believe the worst that it was easy for his plan to work. Uh, Barbara apologizes for screwing up, but you know, Terry says he's been there before. Uh, Terry receives some kind of award from Barbara and uh, Bruce remarks that they found Mad Stan in one of Spellbinder's VR devices. And uh, inside, he's just as happy as he can be blowing up City Hall.
1: Yeah, you know what? Let me start this one off. Mad Stan aside, okay, because we all know the greatness that is Mad Stan. Mm-hmm. I hate this episode. You it dry. makes, this episode. no, this makes zero fucking sense. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Barbara is pissed that Terry killed a terrorist. She's going to hunt down Batman and she's going to ruin Terry's life. Terry's family's life, Bruce's life, Dick's life, Tim's life, her life, her husband's life, all because a superhero in her mind, from her perspective, killed a terrorist. It's not like Barbara caught Terry murdering a purse snatcher. No, he killed in quotes, a guy who was going to blow up buildings. And she has a problem with this. I could see her going to Bruce and being like, you know, your kid killed someone, you know, that that's not cool. But I, I don't see her getting on her high horse about this.
0: I completely understand what you're saying, but I guess I have to go back to the whole, you know, the Bat family does not kill, ever. And that would be why – I guess that's why she would be pissed. So, I mean, yeah, you know, it's hard – it really is. It's hard for me to argue your points because you make some great points there, but uh I don't know. Um I just – I love – I really – I dig this episode. Um and um I'm trying to think, I was trying to draw a parallel to something, but then I completely forgot what it was. So, um let's just, let me start with just how mature this episode is. Batman goes to a morgue, and they, Bruce and Terry, talk about an autopsy. Okay, this is a cartoon. So, yeah, I dig that. I think this episode has some great animation. I'd say some pretty decent music, at least. I think the thing I like most about this is that even though Spellbinder didn't get any screen time, really, he really did get put over big here because he almost got the GCPD to kill Batman for him.
1: Okay, you know what? This is my second gripe with this thing, okay? 25 seconds. 25 seconds. Within 25 seconds, Spellbinder is revealed to be the villain and then taken down this is the second time they've used this guy when the episode wasn't really about him and he's been defeated in a grand total of less than 90 seconds when you count uh what was the one where max was in the vr thing when she got addicted to that what was that episode called uh
0: i can't remember for uh, a life uh, but... right
1: it doesn't matter but you know which one i'm talking about that yeah. one they took him down in a minute here less than 25 seconds so in a grand total of less than 90 seconds, this guy's been completely jobbed out. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, that it did put him over in that, you know, it almost got, he almost got Barbara and the GCPD to kill Terry, but they almost didn't even need a villain for this one.
0: Obviously, the last time this happened, neither of us could justify it. Here, you could, you could kind of say that Spellbinder was completely unprepared for Batman to actually see him there. Uh, because you you figure he would be have his mind occupied with you know the twenty or so cops shooting at him, and you you never expect him to throw a Batarang at Barbara Gordon of all people. But it's and, still
1: Batman so. has still worked through that guy's tech before though. We've seen Batman fight through Spellbinder's trickery, so it makes him look stupid if he thinks Batman isn't going to do it again. I mean, I know all villains are cocky by nature, and they never think they can be beaten. I get that. But to, to, to think that Batman wouldn't have found him and wouldn't have taken him down, and to not be prepared for that, I, I really think that makes the character look stupid and weak. Again, I understand the episode wasn't really about him, but they could have at least... I mean, the fight was Terry jumps off the movie theater and tackles him, and they go rolling into some trash. That was it. That was it. There was no punches thrown, no batarangs thrown at Spellbinder's head. They was just thrown at his little orb. No gas pellets. He literally just dove at him and pushed him into some trash.
0: Well, are you saying that Spellbinder should be able to put up a fist fight with, with Batman?
1: If the Clock King can, yeah. <laughs> Fuck the Clock King. <laughs> I mean... No, you're right, he shouldn't Uh, be able to. He is the type of character that plays mind games with characters. He's sort of, he's got that scarecrow-like role, of course. That's, that's what, he's basically Scarecrow Beyond.
2: And
0: he's built like me, so.
1: (laughs) But the point is that he is, he's fought Batman before and he is prepared to fight him and to See, th- here, and here it. I would... say. So just I, taking I'm out sorry. so easily was way too weak. I'm sorry, what were you trying to say?
0: Well, I'm saying, here, I go back to that. I still, I would, I argue that he was completely unprepared for Batman to be seeing him there with him being so preoccupied with the police, so I'm going to stick by that.
1: Okay, okay, then let me ask you this, though. How did... Okay, wait a minute, I'm trying to think this one through. Okay, so at what point did Spellbinder start manipulating Mad Stan? it's sort of made to seem like it happens after Mad Stan is quote unquote killed. And then Spellbinder puts him in the VR unit and that's when where the police find him at the end. But we have to assume they were in some sort of cahoots before then because how else did Spellbinder know to be there in the parking lot with Commissioner Gordon and Batman and Mad Stan? They never explained that to, and. I mean, you can probably assume there was some manipul- manipulation going on. For all we know, Mad Stan was being controlled at that point by Spellbinder, but they they never said that these two were teamed up from point A. Right. So it makes it look like it all started when Stan was knocked out and presumed dead.
0: I bet mean, if I had an hour, I could probably type out an explanation <laughs> to everything that happened there. But as such, I don't. So I'm gonna I'll have to go along with you right now because you're I I think you're right.
1: And this is going to be a running theme with a lot of these episodes that we're talking about today, is that in previous episodes, they set something up. Like Terry has invisibility, or he's got an on-again, off-again friendship with Commissioner Gordon, or his suit can do this, or his suit can do that, and then they don't use it. Okay, we've mentioned that in the past, in fact, where I'm like, why isn't he using the rocket boots? Why is he swinging, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in this episode... The whole thing is that Bruce is in the cave trying to fix the uh, video recording of Terry's fight with Mad Stan. that That's thats Bruce's role in this thing. It's to clear Terry's name. Mm-hmm. But doesn't Terry's suit record everything? Isn't Bruce watching? We've seen that before in Spellbinder episodes, that Bruce is sitting in the cave watching everything from Terry's point of view. That's how come he's always yelling McGinnis, because he can see what McGinnis can't see. But in this one, Bruce suddenly doesn't have the recording button pushed. He's not watching. Where is he in the John?
0: That is a good point, and I didn't even think about that.
1: Because in an, in another episode, it's gonna be um, what do you call it? The last resort. Terry, you know, he's listening in to that uh, to that conversation in that building, and right. he tells Bruce, "Hey, didn't you record that?" So Bruce is obviously recording everything that Terry Suit is picking up. But, oh, today, I just didn't have the switch turned on. Sorry, kid. You might have to go to jail. Hmm. I I just have so many fucking gripes with this one. I mean, seriously, if it weren't for Mad Stan, if it weren't for Mad Stan. (laughs) God, is
0: this going to be like rats for you? (laughs) As I'm seeing a really disturbing parallel here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've, I've just been ranting about this one. Why don't you say some more good things about this one? What were you enjoying here?
0: Well, I, see, I, I dig, you know me, I dig a good mystery episode, so, I mean, uh, you know, I wanted this to be, you know, the Batman Beyond version of, you know, the late Mr. Kent. I, I wanted it to be that. And I knew from the, you know, I knew it wasn't as good as that. Even as, as much as I liked this episode, I realized it wasn't even close to as good as that. But I, I did, you know, before you mentioned the, you know, before you just mentioned the whole, why is he not recording it thing, I was like, wow, this! I like, this is intriguing. I, I want to see who the, the villain is and, you know, how the hell all this happened. And, you know, and I loved Spellbinder's line about how it was so, you know, it was so easy. I thought that was a great, you know, just asshole, stick it to him line.
1: I'll absolutely give the episode that because that made Spellbinder's jobbing not so uh, painful in my mind. Mm-hmm. because he did get that villainous kind of twisting the knife thing at the end.
0: This is another one of those episodes where I just like to sit back and watch it because I I like uh I just like the the whole mystery storyline with it. But uh if you want to go on and rant again by all means because <laughs> I really don't have any more notes.
1: <laughs> okay, then fine. I'll drop this little tidbit. Barbara doesn't like Terry or the fact that he's Batman because Terry was in juvie for a couple of months, correct? Yeah tim drake was a street urchin yet he was robin and barbara had no problem with that ah uh, youth I mean, wh- I mean, <laughs> you could chalk it up to youth i guess you're right you know but she is on such a fucking high horse in this episode that it just gets under my skin and it actually to some extent makes me dislike this iteration
2: of barbara gordon i was programmed to maintain the secrecy of my own existence Anyone I replaced saw what I was and could never be set free. But you didn't want to kill this terrorist guy? He was not a terrorist. His associates were terrorists. He was an accountant. So he was innocent. Yes, but that is not why I spared him. Replacing him required that I live with his family. I watched them experience life. I saw his daughter ride a bicycle for the first time. I could not deprive her father of seeing her grow. Just because he knew I existed.
1: So next up is Zeta. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> okay, in this one, uh, Terry and Max, they're sitting in uh, biology class. And uh, their teacher is telling them all about uh, genetics and how, on some basic level, we're all sort of faded to do certain things just based on our genes and based on instinct. Well, the, 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 lecture that she's giving Terry notes is straight out of his digital textbook and this raises some bells with him. He's like, that, that, that's a little weird. She's not improvising at all. So he starts to sort of follow her, uh, as they're, uh, leaving school and as the teacher is walking down the steps, she starts to go past some guys working on the sewer or the electrical or the phone or something. And they've got these weird little handheld devices, and they start beeping when the teacher gets around them. And she tries to uh, turn and casually walk away, but these uh, so-called uh, electrical workers or whatever they are, they, they know that this, uh, they, they finally track down their uh, th- their, their prey. Uh, so they pull out their guns and they start, uh, chasing and shooting after this teacher and this big firefight erupts and, uh, Terry shoes Max away and he runs off. He gets his Batman costume. He gets in the fray and he follows this, uh, what he thought was just his normal teacher. So as the fight's going on, uh, some civilians get in the way, their car gets shot up. Uh, Batman's able to swoop in, uh, pull them out of the way as their car explodes as that happens, uh, Zeta is running through the woods. Oh, I i, I spoiled it. The teacher is running <laughs> through the woods and uh, changes uh, shape, so to speak, from this kind of portly teacher into a young man. It might have even been a kid. I don't quite remember. Um, and then the teacher uh, goes back to her house, and we see in the basement the real teacher sitting there bound and gagged as this duplicate uh walks in, was there a point to that scene? i don 't remember. Uh, what it turns out is that uh, this teacher was being impersonated by Zeta. This is a synthetic life form. Uh, Barbara Gordon finds this out from the government uh, officials who are chasing Zeta down. Of course, Batman is in the office, cloaked, uh, but the government official doesn 't know what Barbara does, of course, so they 're getting all this information about this robot that's on the loose that the government is claiming has gone rogue. Uh, we learn that Zeta went undercover to infiltrate a terrorist cell. Um, Barbara, of course, gets on her high horse again and tells the government that you shouldn't be killing terrorists, but that's neither here nor there. So anyways, um, <laughs> <clears throat> the, the government says that Zeta must have been reprogrammed because uh, he's been acting up, he's been acting funny, he won't do what they're told, so he must be a threat to society. So Terry starts chasing Zeta down. In the meantime, Zeta kidnaps Max and ends up impersonating her. Uh, so Terry, of course, now has extra incentive to find Zeta, uh, cause not only does he have to stop this so called rogue robot, but also, uh, his close personal friend. It turns out that, uh, Zeta isn't bad, he hasn't gone rogue, but his programming has changed to some extent. He's learned that you just can't kill. In the past, when he would take over someone's life, he would have to kill them because they saw what he was, and that just is not acceptable. His existence cannot be out there. But he lived uh, one man's life, and this man, he wasn't a terrorist, he was just an accountant who did the accounting for terrorists. Um, it's never quite said if he was duped into it or not, but you can kind of assume that he was, but regardless, Zeta saw this man's children, uh, they were just happy, it was a nice family, and he didn't want to take the man away from that family and from those special moments, so he decided from that point forward that killing was wrong, Max convinces him that, um, he you know that guns are bad so zeta just like starts pulling all these guns out of his body and dumps them uh, of course batman shows up he doesn't know any of this yet a fight ensues uh, but max is able to convince batman and uh, zeta that they're both on the same side that zeta just wants to get away well the government shows up again another firefight ensues it looks like zeta is destroyed but he wasn't he was just using his holographic cloaking device to make it look like he was destroyed batman tells him to get the hell out of town so he does that and Batman covers, uh, Zeta's tracks by making it look like, uh, the robot had self-destructed. Okay, real quick, real quick, real quick, I have to ask. Okay? Mm-hmm. Special Agent Bennett. The guy with the green- Weather caps, Wizard? Yeah, that's the fucking Weather Wizard! <laughs> I mean there's no difference. None. Not at all. all. I was watching this earlier today and I'm like, why does he look the weather weather wizard? I mean seriously, it took me about 5 seconds to notice it. It wasn't like the face was sort of similar or it was the weather wizard's eyes. No, Weather Wizard from top to bottom. Didn't the Weather Wizard even have those stupid glasses?
0: Those green goggle looking <laughs> things. Yeah. What? I, lazy. What the hell? They just took the he- the model head from the Weather Wizard and slapped it on a government agent uh, suit. That was so
1: lazy. Oh. I really <laughs> expected him to pull his little wand out of nowhere and just start chasing them around with storm clouds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, again, this this episode, I don't have a whole lot of notes for, but. There were some things I dug about it. You know, whatever you think about the last episode, whether you loved it or hated it, it they actually had some nice continuity uh, showing Barbara, you know, helping Batman out a little bit there, and because she knew he was there the whole time, and she positioned her chair for him to be able to see the computer specs.
1: Yeah, I did enjoy that uh, watching these back to back as I did, because she does give him a little jab, you know, when she knows he's there. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not, what does he say? I'm, I, must I must be, be losing rest- my touch. Yeah, exactly. So there's a little, there's some camaraderie between the two, but you can tell everything isn't quite as kosher as we'd like it to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I also liked um, the the tactic that Batman uses to fool the, the people at the end of the episode, making them think that Zeta self-destructed just to give him some extra time to get away. That was kind of neat. Um Another thing, I, I, I don't know if you caught this, but at the, the monorail scene, um the, the PA system announces that, uh, one of the cars is headed for Central City, which of oh. course is Flash's hometown, and another is headed for Dakota, which is Static's hometown.
1: Oh no, I didn't pick up on that at all. Nice catch there. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that was kinda a neat little, uh, thing, because, you know, Static, did Static come in 2000? I cannot remember for the life of me. I
1: don't know when Static was.
0: Because uh... I'm trying to think. I guess I'm just trying. If if that was uh, that had to be a, a pre. I don't know. Some kind of hint at you know Static or of some sort. So.
1: Yeah, I, it, it'd be nice if it was. I can't say for sure though because I don't have the timetable in front of me. Uh, wait, let me hang on. Let me look something up real quick. What's after Batman Beyond? Zeta Project? Then Static? So, yeah, they might have been starting the production of Static, you know, just getting it rolling. And mm-hmm. that was just a little Easter egg they threw in there. Oh, what about you? Um, Like you, I don't have a lot of notes about this one. But that doesn't mean it was one of those ones where I sat down and started enjoying it and I forgot to take yeah. notes. It was just I just don't have a lot to say about it. I mean... It's a, just there. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's an average episode at best, really at best. I would say slightly below average. Um, the animation never felt quite normal to me. It didn't feel like the Batman Beyond animation. It's like they were trying something a little different here, especially when you look at uh, Max and Zeta. Um, neither, especially Max, felt like they fit in with the background, so that was a little off. Um, I also felt that this episode, you know, it was going for, um, you know, it it was trying to, you know, it was trying to deliver a moral, basically. As I said, the episode starts off with Zeta in disguise talking about how, you know, on some level, maybe we are controlled by our makeup. And at the end, he, and of course we, the audience learns that, no, you're the master of your own destiny you know, Mm -hmm. so that was good and, you know, introducing a new character that would become a bigger part of the DCAU, that's kind of neat too, but it just at its core, it didn't have the emotion they were going for you know, we're supposed to feel for Zeta this, as far as we know one of a kind uh, creature, we'll say, life form is a better term, I think um, that's been introduced to this world that the government wants to track down, but I never really felt like the government was bad, and that's what we were supposed to think. I never felt that Zeta was really good, except for that one moment when he was talking about that guy's family. It really was just all sort of been there, done that. Very linear. Yeah. I mean, you knew exactly where it was going. You, if you really could have watched like the first couple of minutes, a couple of minutes in the middle, and the end, and... You know, so it's that maybe five minutes total. And you get the whole episode. There were no twists or turns. It wasn't like um what do you call it? Like like the last one with Spellbinder, where the last you know, we don't find out it's spellbinder until like the last minute of the episode. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a kind of a twist there. Here there's nothing like that. As you said, it's just linear. It's A to B to C we're done. What else do you want to say about this one?
0: Well, I have to admit, when uh when Zeta fell off the building apparently to his demise, I kinda went no because <laughs> I did, I did like Zeta. Um, I not like. Oh my god, no, they didn't kill him off, did he? But I was like, no. Just kind of. Oh, I hope he lived. But if he didn't, oh, well, oh well.
1: I thought Zeta like, had a different head. I don't remember him having that boomerang head.
0: Well, see, the thing is, and when we get to Justice League, um, or Justice like League Unlimited, I believe, uh. Those droids they use for training are shaped like this model of Zeta. But when we get to Zeta Project, yeah, it is a different character model. And actually, Zeta comes back in Batman Beyond. Right,
1: yeah, that I knew. But Okay, so the Zeta we meet in the Zeta Project, that's this same Zeta. He just has a new body, so to speak? Or new head. Okay, because we're not talking about his outer holographic projection. We're just talking about his actual metal skeleton. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because I was looking at him, and I'm like... What's with that fucking head? That is so weird. Um, but while we're talking about Zeta's design and this and that, what I did like was that whenever he did his holographic projection, um, and more specifically when he came out of it, you could see him changing the shape of his body, specifically his shoulders and the position of his head just a little to accommodate the height and the width of the person that he was trying to look like. Mm-hmm. That was neat. It wasn't just like, hey, you know, I'm four feet at the shoulders, but it really looks like I'm your average person. You know, they actually, yeah. you can actually see his body kind of expanding as he was coming out of that. <clears throat> um I really think the last thing I want to say about this one is Terry pegged Zeta's impersonation of Max way too soon. I mean, he goes in there, asks her if she wants a sandwich... And she says, "What? No, I'm busy." And he scowls at her and walks out.
0: No, that was that wasn't what it was. It was when he asked her about Dana. Okay. Uh, he, sa- he says something about like, "Uh, may- maybe you uh you could help me with uh Dana." Like, with, you know, like making him an excuse, I assume, to make like to for him to go off and be Batman again. Mm-hmm. But she says, "Oh, or you know, the the robot says, Well, Oh, what does she need help with? That's when he makes kind of like the, huh? And then he was like, you know what? I got something to do anyway. I'll see you later.
1: You're absolutely right. I'll give you that. But I still think it was a little...
0: Yeah, You're right, consumed. though. Yeah.
1: I mean, she didn't do anything...
0: Uh, that overly would incriminate. Right. You know, I mean, herself.
1: she is a scholarly girl. For all we know, she was just... She, she was sitting there welding something or something. You know, she was working on some electronic device. Of course, that's the thing Zeta puts on his spine to uh, yeah. try to get rid of his homing beacon. But, so Terry just should have been like, oh, okay, she's not really paying attention to me. She's got her head in her work. I mean, that was just... yeah. I mean, I don't want my characters to be so dumb that they don't recognize that a twin-towered building is in the shape of a tuning fork, but at the same time, I don't want them to be so smart that they figure things out that quick. Because then... You're not writing it as smart as you should. You're just getting to the point because you have to. And that really kind of comes off as lazy writing.
0: We had lazy animation with the Weather Wizard, so why not have some lazy
1: writing to go along with it? (laughs) An out-of-control child, a parent's worst nightmare. I'm Dr. David Wheeler, child psychologist. With the tough new parental liability laws now in effect... Mothers and fathers can no longer afford to ignore their children's problems. Are they staying out too late? Ignoring their schoolwork? Or are they involved in something worse? Whatever the problem is, I can help. At my ranch only minutes from Gotham City, I offer the very finest long-term therapy for adolescents.
2: Yes, it is expensive, but think about the alternative.
0: Next up is The Last Resort. In this one, we open up with Batman just flying around in the Batmobile on patrol while Max is helping him, you know, stay boned up on the goings-on at the school. Well, someone flying a truck like a maniac all over the city uh rams some cop vehicles around until Terry manages to stop him. He's shocked to find out that one of their classmates was the driver of the truck, some kid named Sean Miller, I think, was his full name. Yeah, something. Um. Yeah, well... A commercial is played on a TV for a resort, quote-unquote, where uh, troubled students can be set straight, and they use this kid, Sean, as an example in this commercial. Uh, The head of this place is called Dr. Wheeler, and I think a few... Are we supposed to assume that, like, a few days pass, and we see, like, their history class, and, like, half the students aren't there?
1: Yeah, it isn't that much time, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, well... Dana, uh, Terry and Chelsea are all sitting there just talking and Chelsea sends what I, I, I guess is supposed to be some kind of unflattering email to the principal to tell him to stop shipping good kids off to this uh, resort place. Well, when the principal
1: says is all the email says is the this new solution of yours is unshui. That's all the email said. Yeah. But that gets her in trouble. OK, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump in. there. No,
0: yeah, no, we'll get to that. Believe me. Um, Well, yeah, the principal calls Chelsea's douchebag of a father and he sends her off to the resort. Um, So the next day, Max, Terry and Dana are sitting at at lunch and they're really sad. They're just they're wondering why the hell a student as good as Chelsea would ever be sent to a place like this. Well, we go to the resort and Chelsea runs into an old friend at an art easel, uh, but he doesn't respond to her. And she looks at the painting that he's. Uh, working on, and there's absolutely nothing there. It's completely blank. The kid is just rubbing a dry brush all over the the paper. Um, well, this the guy from earlier, Sean, walks up and informs her that it's because of something called the ISO. Now, Batman flies to the school that night to investigate, and he listens in on one of this doc, uh, Dr. Wheeler guy's rants, and it seems that he's using sleep deprivation and endless harangues and all kinds of other techniques that are in the playbook of brainwashing 101. Um, well, one student uh, speaks up and Wheeler has him thrown into whatever this ISO thing is. We don't know what it is yet, but you can pretty much assume, you know, it's an isolation chamber.
1: <gasps> no, ISO stands for isolation.
0: Could you imagine? <laughs> So, anyway, Batman accidentally trips a laser alarm, and the guards are sent after him in, I guess, these floating MODOK chairs, I guess. and uh, Well, he manages to lose the guy who stays on his tail, and uh, later Terry and Bruce discuss the feed from his fingertip microphones, but obviously they can't use them as proof against the place because of how they were obtained. Um, Terry then decides to go undercover inside the place with a plastic video camera that can go through metal detectors, and he goes as terry mcginnis uh so but he goes under the guise of visiting chelsea but they won't let him take his backpack in with him uh terry goes to see her but the uh the guard says she canceled which is befuddling to terry because he says he just made the appointment well this one kid outside in the lobby tries to escape and terry uses the opportunity to sneak inside he then uh, he hides in some kind of grate and when chelsea walks by uh he gets her attention and she just looks like hell. She's got huge bags under her eyes. She's Her, her, her eyes are drooping, so she's not in good shape. Um, Terry tapes her commentary on how much of a hellhole the place is, uh, specifically the sleep deprivation in the isolation room. And Terry tells her just to stay strong for another day or so while he gets the video to the authorities. Well, as he leaves, Sean walks up to him and starts a fight with him. Uh, the guards and Dr. Wheeler come across the scene and Sean is taken uh, back to his cell where he'll be put into ISO later. They actually, they then pat Terry down and find his camera and then throw him into a holding cell as well. Uh, that night, Terry and Sean begrudgingly agree to cooperate in order to uh, escape the place. And they attack the guards, but Terry is overwhelmed by this, I guess this marine caliber dude uh, until the painter kid from earlier knocks him out. And Sean unlocks all the holding cells with the with this key card and the all the students start running and it's utter chaos. Terry uh manages to get away from Sean so he can retrieve his backpack which has the bat suit in it and he helps everyone escape the building, but he has to save Dr. Wheeler from being thrown off the building by Sean and so, and thus Sean has thrown away his last chance to lead a normal life and he's taken to jail along with Wheeler.
1: Okay, so Wheeler's plan, what was it? This was so much like lost soul to me, where we never knew what the computer head guy, CEO, whatever thing, wanted to do. Same thing here. Is he Mm -hmm. trying to, is he legit trying to straighten out these kids? Is he just bilking parents out of their money? What? is he doing? I really thought maybe at the last minute when Sean was holding Wheeler over the side of the building, we'd finally get, you know, the reveal on what his plan was. But no, you know, it's it's a fine line because you don't want your villains to monologue, but you still need to get their plan out there. And this one never, ever even hinted at what the plan was.
0: But they had time enough to have some ridiculously long ending sequence with Bruce and Terry standing on a hill, looking at Sean going to prison.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) what the hell was that
1: about? Yeah, because what do they say? They're they're sitting there, and Bruce is like, "They're not all like this," you know. And Terry's like, "I know." And Bruce is like, "I know." I I don't understand what that what that yeah. What was was that supposed to to be talking about? What isn't like that? Other juvie halls. (laughs) Other, <laughs> that's a, I guess that's what he was talking about. I mean, one, how would Bruce know? And two, Terry would know that all other juvie halls aren't like that. Um, while we're talking about it, is it ever said why Terry was in juvie? Was it just he was a bad kid? Did they ever get into that? Do you know?
0: Pretty soon, actually. Uh, big time is the episode where it comes out, I think.
1: Okay, because I'm kind of getting tired of... Terry was in juvie. I was in juvie. I know you were in juvie. It's, it's just old at this point. Just just get to it. But anyways, th- that whole ending sequence was just confusing and just felt like so much filler. Let's stand atop a hill overlooking a juvie hall. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about life. My young son that doesn't know he's my son.
0: As I put my hand on your shoulder, I
1: didn't even notice that. Oh my god, that's terrible!
0: That was the last six seconds of the episode. Literally, it was just that shot, that one still with Bruce with his hand on Terry's shoulder, them both looking at the place. That was like six seconds, and that was what ended the episode.
1: It's like a summer's eve commercial for men
0: for that not so fresh juvie hall feeling. <laughs>
1: exactly. Oh Jesus. Okay. Anyways, what else should we say about this one?
0: <laughs> um, let's see. Here's one of my big gripes with this episode. You're telling me that a place as locked down as this wouldn't check what was in Terry's backpack?
1: (laughs) It's one thing that they didn't check it before he went in, because at that point they didn't know he was trouble. But the second they captured him, we'll say, and were going to put him in ISO, you'd think they'd start rummaging through his gear. No. (laughs) God. What I don't understand is the whole point is that the parents don't know what's going on. They think that this is, they know it's like a reform center for their so-called trouble kids who can get sent there because they just send some sort of annoying emails. Okay, whatever. But you're telling me no parents, no government officials, no one, period, investigated this place ahead of time To see that it really was this nasty place, this very cold, sterile uh, joint. Yeah, I just don't get how something like this gets built and funded and just sanctioned without being... Okay, I know we're supposed to just suspend our disbelief, but... Something this large, you just can't do that with. You just can't. If I was going to send my kid away, no matter how frustrated I was with him or her, I'd still check out the facility that I was sending him or her to. I wouldn't just ship him off and forget about him and then not question it when he's going mad when I visit him.
0: And furthermore on that, you got to love the prison orange. You'd think that would tip off a parent (laughs) or two. Like, why is my child in a prison jumpsuit? Right. I did like though that John Ritter was the voice of the of Dr. Wheeler. Oh, he actually Yeah, I didn't know that either until uh, the, I had to watch this through a second time because I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget any I didn't like miss something mm-hmm. because I was kind of I kind of sort of wasn't paying attention the first time I watched. Yeah. But then in second time through I saw the the cast list and I was like, "Wow, John Ritter did the voice of Dr. Wheeler." He actually didn't do a bad job either. And Bud Bundy was Sean Miller. Oh, was D- it? <laughs> David Faustino. <laughs>
1: Now, while we're talking about the voices, did they recast Chelsea? That did not sound like Chelsea to me.
0: Yes, yeah. Rachel Lee Cook is was the new voice of Chelsea.
1: Okay. Does that stick or was that just for this episode, do you know? I don't know.
0: Okay. But um I kinda think that she does replace him or him, her <laughs> before. Wow. Awesome. Um <laughs> but you know, I know she was really monotone here, but I actually kinda liked the, I liked her voice for Chelsea. I don't know, I just I I know that makes no sense at all. I normally I'd be like, God, what a monotone voice, but I, I know, I just liked it. I thought it, I thought it kind of fit with the, with her being trapped in this utter shithole of a, uh, prison, really.
1: No, 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 I agree with you there. When she's in the prison, the monotone voice, it works. Um, because she's so beaten down. She's only been in there a few days, really, and she's already beaten down. Her spirits are just ruined, but, she has that same kind of flat voice when she's in school. There's really yeah. not a lot of inflection when she's supposed to be the, the you know, the skippy upbeat Chelsea that is supposedly a thorn in her father's side.
0: Yeah. I'd like for them to explain that more because the, I mean, just from the few seconds that he's on screen, you can tell that he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. So I would like for them to expand on that, you know, just a little side, uh, you know, side story in some episode down the line. They probably won't, but yeah. I would like – because I want to – you know, we've never heard that before, where Chelsea had problems with her father. We don't know why, and I would like to know why.
1: Yeah, I always thought Chelsea was just sort of your average, normal, good kid, you know, mm-hmm. and for – and I I really still don't get this email being the, quote-unquote, last straw that gets yeah. her sent there. Okay, I understand that uh, Dr. Wheeler was using fear – to get the parents to send their kids to his center. I fully understand that because in the commercial, he's all like, "Uh, what's he saying? You know, is your kid not doing their homework? What, where are they? What are they doing? You know, are they doing worse? And they cut to one family watching it and we don't even see the kids. So it's implied that he's out doing drugs or something, you know, but I'm sorry if my kid sends an annoying email to the principal, I'm not gonna send them away. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, you know, don't, don't do that again. Go to your room. You know, and then you tell the principal, you're like, you're really bothering me with this fucking email business. Um, for all this episode's faults, I did like the, uh, opening of it in that there was a shout out, for lack of a better term, to, uh, Zeta and Lost Soul. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, when Batman's in the car, he's talking to Max and he says, uh, what are they doing? They're going over who's dating who in school, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. when she's like, yeah, if you don't know this, you know, people are going to wonder where you've been for a couple of weeks or whatever. And, uh, he's like, well, pardon me if I've been fighting, uh, what does he say? S- S- Synthethoid. Renegade
0: Synthoids.
1: And, uh, giant heads. And yeah. that giant head just has to be a reference to Lost Soul. I couldn't peg it for anything else. But that was yeah. neat. Again, showing a little continuity. Um, mm-hmm. It's not much, but it's something that just makes the world grow. And it makes it feel like these aren't just one-off things. That there is a progression. You know, that Terry is growing as a character. That he and Max's relationship, it is ever-changing. That they are getting closer. It does so much, really. Just, just little bits of dialogue like that. Now, something I'm confused about. Why couldn't... They give the audio to Barbara, the audio that Terry had recorded from the building. Because Bruce says that he himself can't give it to the authorities. And everyone says Barbara, he just says the authorities. Because he says, what am I going to say? A little bat dropped it off on my door. But they can give it to Babs. And she'd come up with something to say how it was acquired. I, yeah, she
0: could have just said, well, look, yeah, I. I I sent a a special agent in just to snoop around one night because I was curious about this place.
1: You know, I mean, this goes to what I said earlier, where Terry and Bruce, they have all these resources, be it equipment or people, and they use them in some episodes, but they don't in others. And this is another example where they have Barbara as a resource. They could go to her at any time and say, we've got this audio here you go, look into this. And then she could turn around and say, you know what, I can't use this. And the whole thing would have taken maybe 25 seconds at most. But just to have Bruce say, oh, I can't give this to, to the police, I don't know, it kind of blows a big hole in everything that Batman does, in my opinion, because in a realistic world, anybody Batman apprehends would not go to jail. So yeah. now if all of a sudden you're saying that the evidence that you've gathered on these people isn't admissible then that means you're not doing any work at all they're just going to jail for a couple hours
2: and then they're back on the street
0: well you know what this means Mike he is not a fully deputized
2: agent of the <laughs> law <laughs> No need for violence I was merely trying to get your attention you got it who are you? Mutro Berta at your service for a price of course Berta I've heard of you You're a member of the Society of Assassins. I am the Society of Assassins. No need for that. If my mission had been to kill you, you would be dead already. No member of the Society has ever failed. Except one. Yes, because you stepped in to stop her. In a way, this is all your fault. What is? When you prevented Curare from killing her target, the punishment for her failure was death. Unfortunately, we underestimated her. She fought back. One by one, she hunted us down. I am the only one left. And you are the only one who can keep me that way. And why should I care to? Because when she has finished with me, she will come after you. Thanks for the warning.
1: I'll be sure to look for your name in the obits. Next up is Final Cut. In this one, Curare is back. And what she's doing is she is hunting down the members of her Assassin's Guild. Because if you remember, the last time we saw Curare, at the end of A Touch of Curare, uh, she had failed her mission. She wasn't able to kill um, Gordon's husband, the District Attorney, Sam. Sam, Sam, what's his last name? I can't even remember. Young. Is it really young, really, Sam young, yeah, oh, okay, she wasn't able to kill him because Batman interfered, so whenever one of the assassins fails their uh mission, they are then hunted down and killed by their fellow assassins, Well, Curie was able to get away because she's that damn good, and uh now yeah she she's pissed and she wants revenge on those that would have killed her, so she has killed or not well. She's mind-wiped, mind-erased, whatever, um, all of her fellow assassins except one, and she's going after him next. Well, this guy's in Gotham, and he's able to track down Batman. And he tells Batman, you know, you have to help me stop QRA. And Batman's like, screw you. You made your own bed. You, you live in it. You know, you're an assassin. I'm not helping you. Well, this guy, Mutro, he says, you know what, if you don't help me, There was a bomb I planted in Gotham, and it's going to go off in 12 hours. So, really, we stop QRA together, or hundreds, if not thousands of people will die. So, Batman reluctantly agrees to shadow Mutro as uh, QRA is looking for him. So, of course, Max gets wind of this, and she wants to help out, but Terry's like, look, you know, I don't mind you helping me other times, but this time with QRA, you just can't help me. Just stay at home, you know, and... Just look for Bruce, because isn't Bruce sort of uh he's in Thailand or something, right?
0: Malaysia, I believe.
1: Uh, yeah, Bruce is on holiday or something. It's never quite said what he's doing, but a typhoon has just hit that area, and Terry uh doesn't have contact with him, so he tells um Max to go look for his uh his friend, and he's like, oh, but I've never told you who that is, and she's like, oh, uh, let me guess, Bruce Wayne. You know, because she's no dummy. You know, Terry's working for Bruce Wayne and Terry's Batman. Who else was the former Batman? It's not that hard to put one and one together, right? So, mm-hmm. anyways, that's what she's supposed to do. Um, but instead, um, she ends up going to uh, the assassin's, uh, Moutro's uh, apartment that he's staying at to look for any clues as to where this bomb may be and then potentially how to deactivate it. While she's there, QRA shows up. And, uh, just nonsensically attempts to kill Max, but equally nonsensically she lets Max live, um, leading to, uh, Max, uh, just cowering in a shower, screaming on the telephone as she cries out for Batman's help. Uh, Terry, he has to leave Mutro out in the open and he goes to save his friend. By the time he makes sure she's okay and gets back to Mutro, uh, Kyure has caught up with him and has quote unquote mind wiped him too. Um, so now Curie's on the loose and they don't know where the bomb is and they also don't know how to deactivate it. Um, this leads to uh Max uh figuring out where uh the bomb is. She's able to track it by using the kind of device it is. She looks it up on the internet I guess and uh triangulating uh the like a two block a two square block radius. Well, she also then uses Mutro's like, debit card or something to figure out if there are any places he visited in that two-block area. She determines that it was an armory museum, so they say that's where the bomb has to be, and there's a final showdown between Curry, Batman, and Max as they uh stop this bomb. So, there you go. Thoughts, James?
0: Tim Curry is such a great actor. I, I, I love, anytime he does voice acting, I love just to listen to it, and... I think he might even be a better voice actor than he is a stage actor, and I think that says a lot.
1: You know what? I agree with you, but I felt Moutro's accent kept changing in this. It never sounded consistent to me. And maybe it was just me. I fully admit that might be me, but it was sort of like listening to an American do a British accent, and they're never quite consistent with it. You can hear their american come through. That's mm-hmm. what I was getting here. It's like he was doing an accent all the way through, but it was never one accent.
0: I might have to go back and listen to that because uh, you may be right. I just didn't, wasn't picking up on it. Like you were saying in your summary, you can tell that this is a cartoon because an assassin, instead of slicing their throats, is wiping their minds. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of that, I want to know why Kirare looked so surprised when she wiped that first guy's mind in the airplane. She throws that pill at him and it explodes and wipes his mind. She prepares to lift her sword up to, I guess, chop him in half. But then she looks at him and waves her hand in front of him and kind of looks surprised. Like, she's done this to, what, dozens of people before? And she, I I don't know, it was just weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What I think is weird is that they list a voice actor for QRA, and all she ever does is grunt. Yeah. Was it Jennifer Disney, I think it said? Melissa, Disney. Okay, yeah. I okay, yeah, just remember the last name was Disney. And I'm like, really? You needed a voice actor? Or at least to credit them for just uh <laughs> ugh. she never speaks. That was that was weird to me.
0: Shit, just get Andrea Romano in there.
1: <laughs> exactly. Just... I mean they do that all the time. Just oh shit, we need a grunt here. Uh Bruce, you get in the booth. Okay. Or Andrea like like you said, she's admitted on commentary that she's done a couple of voices. Okay, in previous episodes of this show, I have said that uh Max, I didn't understand the hate she was seeming to get at certain places. Now I'm starting to understand the Max hatred. Yeah. So annoying in this episode. I understand they have to give Terry a sidekick. I understand they're aiming this towards a younger audience. So having old man Bruce sitting in the cave, it's good from time to time, but it really has to be a younger cast. But... To have Max get involved in a story like this, and to have her keep prying and prying and prying, and then lie to Terry about what she's doing, and then ultimately have her actions lead to the near destruction of a good portion of Gotham City, is just so annoying. And if this is the trend for the remaining episodes, I'm just going to have to just sigh my way through them, really. because. Yeah. It's, I'm just going to say it's annoying again, because guess what? It's annoying. I mean, if you <laughs> haven't seen this episode, watch it at least for that. Because she's just sticking her nose in everywhere, even when Terry's saying don't. And let me tell you this. She almost gets killed by Cure Rae and she's scared shitless, and she goes to Batman. She's like, hey, I know you're going to yell at me. And Terry's like, no, I think you got the point, which I thought was a great line. He's not going to yell at his friend because, really, she's just... Probably quite literally had this shit scared out of her, right? Then, mm-hmm. later on, like, when they figure out where the bomb is, that it's in the museum, she's all like, let me go with you. But QRA is going to be there. We know she's going to show up. Be, you'd have to be stupid to think that this assassin wouldn't show up at this museum. Because something I didn't say in the synopsis is QRA, once she kills her fellow assassins, is going to go after Batman. She wants to kill him for basically, I think, dishonoring her. Uh, that's never mm-hmm. quite said that way, but I think that was the gist of it. So we know.
0: Well, Lutro mentioned it, so
1: right. But I don't think it was ever said that it was for dishonoring her, though. Well, yeah, yeah. But that—that's essentially what it was. But anyways, so we know there's going to be this final showdown. But again, Max wants to be there because two sets of eyes are better than one. Okay, that's true. And Max did find the bomb because if you really think about it, how can Terry find the bomb, deactivate it, and fight Curare at the same time? But. Max, just a half an hour prior, was crying in the shower because she almost had a sword stuck through her forehead. And now she's fine and she wants to go do this thing? It's really weak character development. I thought they were doing a good thing with her. Like, okay, she was being really annoying and now they taught her a lesson. No, I guess they haven't.
0: I did like, though, in that scene, though, where as Terry's about to jump out the window says, oh, and one more thing, don't call me Terry.
1: Yeah, when did she call him Terry? I didn't catch that. Was that when he ran into the bathroom? Two. Yeah. So her, okay. Yeah, I, I thought that, so, yeah. I, I did like that. That was a really cool, very stern line. I mean, he didn't get to yell at her for sticking her nose in his business after he told her not to. But that was sort of his way of chastising her.
0: In the, the Armament Museum fight scene... Uh-huh. How cool was that 3D shot of Kirare running up the armaments as he's trying to blast her with those batarangs? That was that was we haven't seen any kind of animation like that I don't think to this point because you can what you know they have a, a a panoramic shot almost where she's just running up this one up that one and you can see the camera following her backwards. It's just it's really unique. I don't think we've seen anything like that to date, but yeah. it was really cool.
1: I'm going to have to watch that again. I didn't notice anything like that. Oof. Um, cause that fight scene, there were certain elements of it that were sort of annoying me, such as, okay, QRA cuts the turret off of a tank or something, correct? Yeah. It lands in such a way that it rolls down the stairs and it whacks Max in the back of the head. So a giant iron turret rolling at a good amount of speed hits her in the back of the head and she just grunts it off yeah no she's at the very least unconscious at the very worst her head has been flattened to a pancake i mean even if it just hit her in the shoulders she's still gonna be down for the count that was a, a big heavy object moving at a good amount of speed Again, I know we're supposed to suspend our disbelief. I get that. It's a superhero cartoon, you know, where Batman's thrown through walls and he just brushes it off. But Max isn't Batman. She doesn't have the special suit or Bruce's training or Superman's strength or, I don't know, someone else's resolve. She's just a high school girl who's sticking her nose where it doesn't belong.
0: Geez, why don't you just say what you really think,
1: Mike? God,
0: <laughs> stop sugarcoating it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, fine. I won't sugarcoat this next one then. QRA, the badass assassin that she is, when she goes to violently impale Max, stabs an ottoman. What happened there? I mean, seriously, no,
0: no clue.
1: <laughs> Max didn't roll out of the way. She didn't kick that thing into QRA's path. QRA just stabbed a piece of furniture.
0: I know, because you they show you point-blank in the shadows that it should have been Kirere stabbing Max right through the abdomen.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, no, she stabs a piece of furniture. Furniture. And then why did she let Max go? Because Max was a scaredy cat? I mean, that's what Max says it is, but I think everybody's a scaredy cat before you're about to stick a sword through their head. But she doesn't (laughs) let them go? Just
0: further on that, I think... She has, Max, has a line where she says, Kirare stopped uh, as soon as she got a good look at her and realized who she was.
1: What the fuck? (laughs)
0: Why would Kirare know who Max is?
1: Yeah. I mean, are we supposed to assume she realized that, you know, this girl wasn't an assassin, that she wasn't hanging around with Mutro? Did she suddenly realize that Mutro... And Max look nothing alike, where previously she thought they were the same person. I I just so did not get any of that scene.
0: Well, if that's the case, Kirari is blind.
1: A black, fit, young girl versus... With pink hair. Yeah, with pink (laughs) hair versus Mutro, who (laughs) is not black, does not have pink hair, and does not have breasts. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of Mutro, he pulled... A medium-sized rocket launcher from his trench coat. Yeah. From his trench coat, people. He didn't pull out, like, a little handgun or even, like, a shotgun or something, like a sawed-off that he's got tucked in there. No. A medium-sized rocket launcher. <sighs> <Ugh>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Remember, Hammer Space. This is an anime.
1: <laughs> uh, no, no. I can't give it Hammer Space. I can't. No,
0: I... I... I'm just, you know, pulling one of my little facetious, oh, it, clearly.
1: <laughs> okay. And then when they're in the museum and, you know, this armament museum, and there's like, there's not just swords and guns and tanks and planes and bom- or, uh, yeah, bombs, apparently. There's also like armored suits that still are loaded with their fuel. Because Terry picks up that one, I think it says, like, plasma cannon from the 2000s or something. Terry Mm -hmm. picks it up, throws it at QRA, she slices it, and what appears to be custard flies all over everybody. Why in God's name would that statue have anything in its tanks? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Nothing's making sense at all.
0: That's oh been God. kind of a common theme with this batch of episodes, hasn't it?
1: It seems that way. I mean, as I was watching this one, like one of the last notes I wrote was just, this is so stupid. Just from top to bottom, nothing in this episode is really fun. Like, like we said, it has a moment or two, a little bit of dialogue, you know? Like I thought that her, uh, QRA's, uh escape from the airplane was sort of neat. You know, but it wasn't really fun. It wasn't really doing much for me. And everything else was just, uh, what were you guys thinking with this? You're going to bring back QRA, a relatively cool character, and you're going to do this to her? Sorry, Jim, but the military is cutting back.
2: Hey, I'm lucky to have a job.
1: We've got a project coming up you'd be
2: perfect for. Can you hang on for 18 months? What can I say, Jim? These cutbacks affect everyone. Force Tech can't afford to bring you on board. Force Tech has a short memory, Ishvan. I've helped you guys out before, under the table. And we paid you generously. Of course, there are certain unofficial job opportunities. Like what? You once mentioned a sonic wave device that could shatter steel, the perfect anti-tank weapon. I designed it, but Wayne Powers passed on a prototype. Force Tech has contacts with a certain foreign government that is, oh, temporarily in disfavor with the world community? If you were to build them a prototype, they would be embarrassingly grateful. It's not that easy. I'd have to steal the specifications and build the thing from scratch. I understand, Jim. If it's too much, you can always go live on your modest severance package. But our client won't wait, and neither will I. I need an answer now.
0: And lastly up today is the episode entitled Armory. Uh, in this one, Dana, Terry, and Max are attending a birthday party for Jared, whom we haven't seen since Golem? Was that the episode he first appeared in? I cannot remember for the life of me. No,
1: he was in the Spellbinder episode, because it was his mom. Okay.
0: Right, right. I don't remember the name of
1: that one, but that was that one, yeah.
0: Okay. And, uh, but anyway, he's been, he's given given a new car by his stepdad.
1: Spellbound, sorry. Spelled on you,
0: right, right. And uh, he gets a new car for his present uh, from his stepdad, Jim. Um, and he remarks that nothing is too good for his family. Well, the next day, he's laid off by Paxton Powers. Um, and despite being a primo weapons designer, nobody will hire him. Uh, well, he eventually ends up striking a deal with a person named Istavan that he did under-the-table work four years ago. Um, and the deal is... That he's going to design a new sonic weapon for an unnamed foreign government, probably Um <laughs> uh, and he'll never have to worry about money again because uh, they will pay him a fortune. Well, uh, Jim dons a new suit of high-tech weaponry and he breaks into Wayne Powers to steal what he needs to make his super weapon. Um, the police and Batman attack him, but he escapes thanks to all his weapons he's wielding and. Uh, he's then dubbed the Human Armory, and next, I think, uh, Jim gets, he gets a down payment from his quote-unquote friend Istvan, but, uh, he needs to break into one more building for the final part, and, uh, Jim mentions that Batman got involved, and Istvan says that, um, something like all wars must have casualties for one side to prevail. Um, well, back at, uh, Jim's house, uh, Lorraine is talking about some uh, home remodeling stuff and Jim snaps at her, to which, you know, he quickly apologizes. Of course, he's very stressed out, as you can imagine. Um, well, the next day, Jared uh, walks by Max and Terry, and he's he looks really down. Uh, and Max quips about something about his personal possessions, I think, and Jared snaps at her. Uh, Max just walks off, uh, saying, just relax, it was just a joke. And uh, Terry and Jared continue talking, and Jared tells him that his dad was laid off, and um, he leaves. And Terry tells Max that he now suspects that Jim is Armory because of all the coincidences. Well, Armory breaks into another building to get the final part, and again the police and Batman attempt to stop him, and they don't. And before Jim arrives home, Jared uh, is uh, he sneaks into Jim's workshop and finds the uh, incomplete Sonic weapon sitting on the. Uh, a uh, table or something, and uh, he hears someone coming, and then he hides under a console. Well, Jim and Estevan enter the workshop, and uh, Jim puts this computer chip or something in the into the weapon, and it's completed. And Jared is startled by a spider or something, and uh, Estevan yanks him out from under the console, and Jared starts yelling at his stepfather because you know he knows now that he's armory, and eventually Lorraine enters the room too, eliciting more yelling. And now both Jared and Lorraine know, know Jim's secret, and Jim pleads that he you know he did it for them. Uh, they'll hear none of it. Batman arrives outside. Estevan grabs a weapon, starts blasting all over the place, and he eventually knocks a water tower or something on top of Batman, but Jim stops him with this adhesive shooting gun that he used on Batman earlier. The next day at school, uh, Jared says the judge was lenient on his stepfather because he was fully cooperative in getting Estevan put away, and He'll go to prison for some time, but I guess it could be worse, and the episode ends with Max flirting with Jared. Do you remember back when we were doing uh Gotham Knights and uh we were doing Cult of the Cat, and I opened my commentary up with some uh, snoring?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that applies here. Well, this episode, it's just, it's just boring. It's li- it's another one that's completely linear. You know what's going to happen, and this it's not really a Batman episode. Terry hardly ever shows up at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he does, he's getting his ass handed to him. And somebody explain the music in this episode. It, I swear to God, it was like, it was like music from the Mortal Kombat movies. (laughs) The same tune plays in every action scene. It's at least three times. So it's the exact same tune. I was I was listening to it. I'm like, there it is again. There it is again. It's like watching Liu Kang fight. Uh. Uh, Sub-Zero, or whatever the hell was going on in that movie. (laughs) I'm
1: going to be honest with you. I didn't mind the music so much, because I know what you're talking about. It was always the armory scenes, the chase scenes, more specifically. And the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't like this tune, but by the end of the episode, it sort of grew on me. But at the same time, funguses grow on you, and that's not a good thing. So... (laughs) Yeah, now I have to think about this. Did I like it or did it just grow on me? <laughs>
0: oh, you, good job confusing yourself. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. Uh, hey, it's what I'm best at, you know. <laughs> I need to know something. At the end, when Jared is hanging out in his stepdad's workshop, uh, he's sitting behind a box underneath the bench, right? And some mm-hmm. cockroach or something crawls on him, and he kind of gasps, he yells a little. And that's how his stepdad and this uh, terrorist guy Uh, find him then all of a sudden what'd you say his mom's name was lorraine lorraine yeah yeah all of a sudden she shows up at the door to the workshop and she's like i heard some yelling so really she heard a gasp from inside the armory all the way across the walkway or whatever it was and into the house it's not like it was a blood curling scream it was unless she's
0: talking about where uh Jared is yelling at his father about being armory. I I don't know, but your but your your logic still applies because there's no way she'd be able to hear it.
1: Yeah, you know, it just you're right. It didn't it didn't dawn on me that she could have meant the bickering is what she heard. But even still, it's not like the workshop was mm-hmm. attached to the back of the house. It's not like he's working in an attached garage. It it's seriously like set way back in the yard, and she hears this now. Maybe she was taking out the trash, but. Frankly, she didn't seem like the kind of lady that would be taking out the trash. You have servants to do that. At least she does, you know. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I didn't feel any sympathy for Jared or his family because really, okay, I felt bad that uh, Jim was laid off, you know, but then he's like, oh, everything's okay. Don't worry about it. And then when it turns out everything isn't okay and he has to take this really shady gig, he lets everything go on as normal. And, you know, in regards to the house being remodeled, and I know that's a very real world scenario. I've seen that happen where people pretend that everything's okay to make their family uh, not worry about them. But, yeah. you know, when that happens, be it in fiction or in real life, I really don't have sympathy for you. Because you could have just said, look, we need to tighten the purse strings. This remodeling we're doing, we have to halt it for the time being. Once we get back on our feet, we can pick it up again. But he just lets everything keep going. and He just keeps getting further and further in debt, which means he's further and further indebted to this terrorist guy.
0: Even worse than that, when he's fighting Batman, I think the second time, I might be wrong, but I think it was the second time, and he electrocutes Batman, and he, you know, he just has that manual rope, Mm-hmm. that he throws on that lamppost. He's just hanging lifelessly there. Why does he not just leave him there and, and get the hell out of there? He tries to kill Batman. So right there, any sympathy he had is gone because he's trying to actively kill somebody.
1: Right, yeah. The, the terrorist guy he's working with says, oh, we may need to take out Batman. But, like, I could see the terrorists wanting Batman taken out, but Armory Jim, at that point, as you said, Batman's hanging there lifelessly just run away. You know, we've seen that your truck can change color. So just change color and get the hell out of there. Ditch the truck and run home. If he knew that Batman knew his identity, then I could see maybe taking a shot at Batman. But at that point, Armory has no clue that Terry knows that that's Jared's stepdad. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you take a shot like that at him, you're right, it takes away any sympathy we may. Have had for
0: him. Again, it should be noted this is another episode where Bruce never appears, mm-hmm. and we actually had two of those because he never appeared in Zeta either.
1: Well, three, no, because the the last one, Cura, the one with Kira, right? he was in Oh, F-
0: right, right, right. Movie, so yeah, you're right. only
1: two of the five we're talking about today actually had Bruce. It's true. Wait, was hmm. he even in all of these? Let me think. Wait, he was in Eyewitness, of course, and yeah, he was in the last. Wait, was he in the last resort? Yeah, he was. He was
0: really the only other note I have is I th- I thought it was kind of a neat. Uh, way for Terry to use the the boot rockets yes. to propel that thing at the van. That was that was pretty neat. Uh, I like I like it when they find new uses for stuff that we see all the time.
1: Right, because you start to take everything for granted. Oh, he can use the boots to fly, or he can do this. But for him to be on his back, he really is not in a position to kick anything in the way. If he doesn't do something, the villain's going to get away, or he's going to get run over. So yeah, he comes up with this neat little trick. To just propel that box or whatever into the truck to stopping it—that was so inventive. I thought on who—I mean, whoever came up with that, the the writer, the storyboard artist, whoever—they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, what nobody deserves credit for, though, in my opinion, is the further annoyingness of Max. She blatantly makes fun out of Jared when they're at the record shop. He's walking by, they get his attention, she makes fun out of him. When Jared calls her on her bullshit, she storms off like a spoiled baby. Like, seriously, you just made fun out of him, and when he calls you on that, you're going to tell him he's in the wrong? And then furthermore, after Jared's gone, when she comes back, she takes another shot at him. It's like, this character is so not endearing anymore. She was on thin ice to begin with, and now... I want QRA to come back and finish the damn job.
0: Hmm. Who who might that be uh, reminding me of? What what character from a certain 1989 Tim Burton movie? <laughs> what, what was her name again? I, I, for the life of me, I just cannot remember.
1: <laughs> and I have, to, I have to ask something, okay? Why in the world are Terry and Dana dating? We see more of Terry and Max at this point than... I mean, seriously... In this episode alone, we see more of, let's just say the last two episodes combined, okay? We've Hmm. seen more of Terry and Max together than we have Terry and Dana in all of Batman Beyond thus far. Yep. Seriously, just ditch the Dana character and have Terry start going out with Max. They've already got this secret together you know, their friends, just let them take it to the next level and dump the whole Dana character, who at this point is completely useless. Cause whenever she does show up, she's just used as a plot device. Yeah. And that's and, not to to any character at all.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that wasn't one of my big criticisms with rats among many, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they never follow up on the, on her being so incredibly pissed off with them in that episode. they, She just keeps hanging around, and now she's, you're right, she's completely useless.
1: Yeah, they absolutely could have broken them up at the end of Rats, and at some point during this batch, Terry and Max start flirting. You know what I'm saying? And then they form a little relationship. And you know what, they could have brought Dana back if they wanted to. You know, she's in the background, maybe her and Terry get back together. He could have cheated on Max with her. We've already seen him cheat on Dana. You know, he could have cheated on Max, too. You know, make him a complete scoundrel. (laughs) And he goes, then he gets back with her, you know, but they could have had this whole little side thing. Cause if you're not going to use the character, why is she there? There's no reason to have her there. You know, the last thing I want to say about this one is what kind of judge would be quote unquote lenient on someone who is assisting a terrorist.
0: Only in Gotham City, Mike.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, oh, okay, it is the re- re- you know revolving door of uh, the Gotham City justice uh, system, I guess.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: No, okay, sure. He was pressured into working with the terrorists, but he still could have said no. It was only the pressure of needing to put food on his family's table. It wasn't them.
0: even that. No, no, it wasn't even that. It was because he wanted to give them really expensive, fancy stuff.
1: You're right, that's true. It really wasn't about giving them meals. Because, it was about making yeah. the house better and giving cars. Yeah, you're right.
0: Because he said the guy even says, Oh, you well, you can just live on your modest severance package, or you can take the billions of dollars I'm gonna give you.
1: Yeah, that is true. So, yeah. Mm, maybe Gordon was helping him out. She's like, he was a terrorist. He wasn't that bad. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about this or can we get to our scores?
0: No, let's do the scores.
1: Okay, so for Eyewitness, what are you giving this POS? Oh, I'm sorry. What are you giving this episode?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I lowered this, so, you know, I'm lowering it to a six, but I, like I said, I like this episode and I'm going to stick by that. (laughs)
1: I'm going to give this a 3, and that 3, I think, is generous.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, judging by what you were saying, I think that, that that is generous for you.
1: Yeah, I almost gave it a 2 at the last minute, um, but, yeah, I'll stick with my 3. Uh, Zeta, what are you giving this one? Um, 5. I'm going to give Zeta a 4. Next up is the Last Resort. That gets a 3. I agree. That's a 3. Final Cut.
0: And and you know, this one is so much better. I'm giving it a
1: four. (laughs) See now I'm torn. I gave this one a two, but it didn't piss me off as much as I I think you were
0: pissed. I think you were just pissed off so much from the first episode that you couldn't have any more pissed offness for this one.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna change my mind. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna give Eyewitness a two. Okay? That's not a three anymore. That's suddenly a two. That's an on the spot change. And final cut, I'm also gonna give a two. Uh, hmm. let's see so Armory what are you going to give that one
0: you have that one a three
1: I will give that a four
2: I got worried when you didn't come back bet you brought one of your old bat suits with you you'll never know I hope you don't think this place was typical
0: no but I sure wish we didn't need them
2: I know I know.
1: Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at podcast.com. That's feedback at podcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman Beyond those being Sneak Peek, Plague, The Egg Baby, April Moon, and Payback. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.